Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can, as every Sunday, we can remember the resurrected Christ, but we come to Easter. We spend time remembering the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. We thank you for the resurrection hope that we have, that one day that we too will be given new life and new hope. We thank you for the new life that we have now because of Christ and what he's done and that he rose from the grave. And we pray uh, that that hope, that full assurance of hope that the Bible says that we have, that we would tap into that in a, in a time right now where there's a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of trouble in our hearts and in our minds and in our world. So Lord, uh, we believe that Jesus is alive and he brings us life and hope. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we can't live without hope. We put our hope in someone or something. And if I could be as bold to say it this way, where we put our hope determines the trajectory and the outcome of life itself. We put our hopes in all kinds of things. We put our hopes in our plans. We put our hopes in people. We put our hopes in things. I just want you to think for a minute of all the plans that you had from mid-March to now and how those plans have been dashed. I want you to think about the people in which you put your hopes in. Maybe right now you're putting your hopes in the infectious disease doctor or politicians or pastors or uh, maybe even closer to home. And we put our, our hopes in people like our spouses. We put our hopes in our friends and their, our trust in our friends. We put our hopes in our counselors. Um, but yet people, all people will let us down at some point. So both plans and people uh, will let us down. And those things are unfortunately uncertain. And then you think about the things of life that you put your hope in. Maybe you're putting your hope right now in a little bit in your prepper kit that you made uh, for this time. Maybe it's in your 401k. Man, I don't even want to look at my 401k. I'm trying to remember uh, to, to, to take the long-term approach to that. But think about all the things in your life that you put your hope in and the people that you put your hope in and the plans that you put your hopes in And I want you to think about how uncertain those hopes, those kind of hopes are in life. You know, the question then becomes, is there a hope that is guaranteed? Is there a hope that is sure that I can take it to the bank, that it's going to happen? And I think the resounding answer that the Bible gives is yes. The Bible gives us our sure hope. The apostle Peter seems to believe this as well. And think about Peter. Think about young Peter and think about all of his misplaced hopes, all the people and all the things and all the plans that he had that were misplaced. So he was a man who knew what it felt like uh, to be hopeless and yet be given new hope. He's, I think, a guy that we can identify with. His fails, he would fail and he would get back up. He would fail again and get back up. And so we'll go to First Peter chapter 1 and we'll be looking at verses 3 through 9 this morning and really looking at our living hope, the living hope that we have because of Christ. And it's interesting because we think about all the hopes that we have and things in this world and we think about how uncertain they are and it's kind of like wishful thinking hope. I hope that COVID-19 dissipates over the next month or so. I hope the Rockets win. I guess they're not playing right now. I hope, I hope this, I hope that. But the reality is, is the scripture gives us a sure, guaranteed 
hope. Let's look at it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9 from the Apostle Peter. Look along with me there. Verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that it's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in this last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, you there, C3, so that the testing genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through, though it's tested with fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, this text is about our living hope, the source of our living hope, hope, the cause of our living hope, the means by which this living hope comes to us, the future of our living hope, and even the present reality of our living hope that we can still give God praise because we have a sure hope. So that is what this text is about. This is where we're going today. So the first thing, what what does this text teach us about our real hope? Well, first of all, it teaches us that the source of our hope is a merciful God. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, according to his great mercy. Let's stop there. According to his, we're going to parse this out. According to his great mercy, the source of our hope is a merciful God. Our source of our hope is God himself. Hope lies in God. The psalmist says it in Psalm 42, verses 5. Verse 5, this way. This is, Psalm 42 is all about trouble. And the psalmist is actually asking questions of himself and answering those questions. That's a really important thing to do. Sometimes you have to talk to yourself. Um, It's better to talk to yourself than listen to yourself because listening to yourself and playing that out often has the effect of anxiety and fear. But you need to talk truth to yourself. Um, We say it this way, you need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. The psalmist says this, here's his trouble. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil? Literally, uh, one, one translation says, why is your soul disquieted within you? You feel that way? Here's his answer to his question. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So our hope lies with God himself. And look at the, the attribute that's pulled out in, for Peter here in, in verse 3. Um, it's his great mercy. You see, mercy is not getting what we deserve. It's not getting what we actually deserve. If I could illustrate it, I would do it in, in this way. I would, I would tell you a story. Tell you a story about me um, about six years ago. Uh, I bought, for me, it was a new truck. It was a used truck, the truck I have right now. And uh, previous history to that, I'd just driven little cars that had a little V4 in it, and this truck has a V8 in it. And so I pile in the kids and we, uh, and and Melanie, and we go to College Station area and visit some friends. And it was the first week I had this truck. 
And on the way home, uh, we lived in Cyprus at the time, and so we're coming south on Highway 6, and we're about to get to, to 290, the 290 interchange right there. And on Highway 6, uh, it, I think the speed limit's a 70 or 75, and then it abruptly shifts down to 20, uh, excuse me, to 55 when you come down this hill. I'm giving all of my excuses for what's about to happen, which I, you may know what's about to happen up front. Um, and I'm coming down this hill, and I'm hitting about 80 or so, and uh, the policeman is right there, right next to the speed limit sign, coming down the hill. It's already turned 55, and he flipped on his lights and uh, flips around, and I pull over, and my wife says, you know the speed limit changed to 55, and, and I said, yeah, I think I saw that, and I'm starting to do the simple math in my head and thinking, uh, this may not be good because the state of Texas, 25, he can haul you off. And so we pull over to the side. Policeman abruptly pulls over to the side, gets out, not a good sign, and uh, comes up to the window. And he, before he says anything, he looks in and he sees my kids and he sees my wife, which I'm thinking, okay, good. Maybe I'll get off. Maybe, I'll, uh, maybe this will help me a little bit. And he looks me in the eye and he says, you know we could take a ride, right? And I said, yes, sir, even though I wanted to say something different. I said, yes, sir, I know I was going too fast, and it turned to, to 55. And he said, license and registration, pull those, walk back to his car real quick. And so all these things are going through my mind at that point. I'm thinking, what's going to happen? Uh, best case, I get a really expensive ticket. Um, worst case, I get a really expensive ticket, and my kids have to see me dragged off in cuffs. Um, and he comes back about five minutes later. It felt like 15. He comes back five minutes later, and I'm thinking, man, I'm toast. I'm so toast, and I am dead to rights. I'm guilty. And he hands me my license and registration, and he says, slow down and drive home safely, and gets back in his car and drives off. And I said, blessed be the name of the Lord. I wanted to break out and praise. No, I didn't do that. But I felt like it. I rejoiced. I did not deserve it. That's a great picture of mercy. I didn't get what I absolutely deserved. I absolutely deserved to be punished. I absolutely deserved a fine. I absolutely could have been taken into the uh, Navasota police station at that point. But this man in authority showed me mercy. I didn't get what I deserved and I was grateful for that. That's a great picture of mercy and what mercy is. It's really not getting what you do deserve. And the fact is this, God's got us dead to rights. He is perfect and he is holy. Um, and we have sinned against him. And because we have sinned against him, the Bible says some pretty rough things like we are dead at our trespasses and sin. We don't have any spiritual life in and of ourselves. We've seen that in our study of Genesis that man was separated from God because of their sin and it broke relationship with God. And so he is great in his mercy to show us mercy. This is the type of God you have. God is just and he won't leave the guilty unpunished, but he is merciful. And this text teaches us that the source of our hope comes from a merciful God. Let me ask you, how do you see God? Do you see him as merciful? How do you see God in a time of trouble right now where life looks really hard? Do you still see him as a God of mercy? And what are some of the ways in which God has shown you mercy.
Well, as a people in need of God and his mercy that gives us hope, how does God actually go about showing us his mercy? We know that's true about God, that he's merciful, but how does that show up in in our lives? And I would say it in this way, if you look just at the next phrase there in verse 3. He has shown us great mercy. He has, look at the next phrase, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He's caused us to be born again. Um, The idea of born again, think about this. This is God giving us new life. And so the cause of our hope, so we've seen the source of our hope, the cause of our hope is the new life that God again grants us, that he breathes life into us. I said a minute ago that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Man, dead people can't breathe. They don't have life. They don't have spiritual life. They have physical life, you and me, but without God doing something to breathe life enough in us, we don't have new spiritual life. There's a great example of this in John chapter 3 where Jesus um, is at night and Nicodemus, a religious leader of his day, came to Jesus by night. He didn't want anybody to see him, but he asked Jesus the question, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and he said, you must be born again. And if you could have been there, if I could have been there, I think Nicodemus would have had a really puzzled look on his face because Nicodemus said, I can't go back into my mother's womb. And so Nicodemus is thinking physical. He's thinking, I can't be born again physically. And Jesus says, no, you've got to be born of water and the spirit. And what Jesus means is, is that you don't have spiritual life because sin has separated you from the Father. And so here's the implication. The cause of our hope is new life that God grants. He grants this to us. Man, he grants us this new life to us that God, just like the source of our hope is God, um, the cause of our hope of being given new life, God has to breathe life in to us, and there's a lot of questions that come from, well, what, what is my part? God breathes new life into us, and then he gives us these gifts that the Bible speaks about of faith and repentance, and we come to him based on the gifts that he gives us, and there's tons of questions about that, but the, the, the point is this, and this is really where it gets to our living hope, and this is really important for us. Listen, if my hope, my eternal hope, my hope in this world and life and in death comes from me, um, then I'm in trouble. Because my best laid plans, my best laid thoughts about my own hope will fail. But the beauty of this is we can have a living, lasting hope because God will never fail. That God is eternal because God is merciful and he grants new life. And that's a great place for our hope to be found. That's a sure hope. My hope that I grant to myself would never be sure hope. But this is what God does. Man, how does God bring about this new life though? There's gotta be a way in which he brings it to me. What is the means by which God grants us life? Look at the next phrase in verse three. We're still in verse three. This is amazing stuff. He grants us this living hope, this new life. Look at it, the word through. That's how it comes. It comes through something. Look at it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his death, burial, and resurrection grant us this 
new life. The means of our hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what Peter's saying. He's like, this is the way in which you get this hope. See, Jesus on Good Friday, and we celebrate Good Friday, it's really an awful day. It's a horrific day in some ways because he died in your place for your sin and for mine. He died in your place on Friday, and we celebrate that new, we celebrate the the goodness of that gift because Jesus died where we should have. Um, And he died on a cross to forgive us of our sins. But on Sunday, he rose from the dead. This is proof that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah, that he can forgive sin, that he rose from the dead and he conquered death and he brought from death to life. We have a living hope because we have a living Savior. This is proof of our hope. This gives us hope that one day when you or I die that we also can have new life because Jesus defeated death. And this is our sure hope that the resurrection is true, that they never found his body. He wasn't resuscitated. He really rose again. And this changes everything. This is the crux of Christianity. All things come to a head right here. See, the gospel is central to a Christian's life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus and what we believe there. You see, If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, the Bible says that we are still in our sins, that we still have sins upon us, and we're the most to be pitied. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you have no hope. You have, you and I have no hope. We couldn't, shouldn't come and spend our time and our money and our efforts on coming to church and being with one another. We should find different ways in which to live our lives for our own hopes. But the fact is, is that Jesus did raise from the dead and this changes everything. This is my hope. This is your hope. And man, if you're here today and you don't know Christ and maybe your family pulled you into this, uh, this gathering, maybe your family sent you a link and, and you're watching, if you're gonna be intellectually honest about the claims of Christ, you've gotta do something with the resurrection. You've got to figure out something to do with it because he's the only human being that lived this life that has been raised from the dead. You've got to figure that out. I want to tell you a story, uh, a story about a guy in the early 80s. Early 80s, um, this guy was an investigated journalist and um, atheist guy, but his wife uh, came to be, came into a relationship with Jesus And she became a Christian, and that wrecked havoc in their marriage. And so this man, being the investigative reporter that he was, um, he loved his wife, and he loved his family, and he didn't want his marriage to end. So his solution was, I'm going to investigate. I'm going to investigate the resurrection of Jesus. And so he spent his spare time um, as an investigative reporter checking out the resurrection and its validity. And about 20 years later, we know this guy, his name is Lee Strobel, and he's written a bunch of books, and he, uh, they put together a movie a couple of years ago. You can find it on Netflix. Maybe you've already watched all of Netflix, but the movie's called The Case for Christ, and it's a great opportunity for you to explore. Maybe you don't know Christ, and maybe you uh, haven't been um, excited about picking up books to read about the claims of Christ. There's a great movie out. It's not the typical Christianese um, uh, un unwell done movie. It's a, it's a well done movie on Netflix. I would encourage you to check it out. 
And really the question comes to this. Um, We all bet our lives on something. The question for you this morning is, what are you betting your life on? I bet my life on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that provides me forgiveness of sin that I desperately need as a person um, seeking my own path and my own way. Um, I choose to believe in Christ and what he's done on a cross for me and his resurrection because he forgives me of my sins and he puts me in right relationship with himself and he provides me a living hope now and a future hope that I can trust in, that I can hang all my cares and hopes on. Listen, if you're here this morning again, um, if, if I'm wrong, it's all good for you. But if, but, but if the claims of Christ are right, it changes everything. It's of most importance. So I would encourage you, I would challenge you to consider Christ and what he's done on a cross and how he rose from the dead. So we worship and we praise God for his mercy. This is what we see when when we look back at the source of our hope is his mercy. What you see there and what you see through this text is you see you see Peter worshiping because of his mercy, because he grants a new life, because of the resurrection. Look at back at verse 6, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, we rejoice. We give honor and glory and so the response, the response to the gospel message is worship. It's a great encouragement to us as we look at this text. Our response is always worship for God's mercy, for new life that he brings and the resurrection of Jesus. So Christian, I encourage you to worship God in the way that you live and also on Sunday when we sing uh, together. So this is the means of our hope. It's the resurrection. And maybe you're sitting here and you're going, well, yeah, that's great. But what's the long-term payoff? What's the long-term payoff in this hope? I want you to look at verse four. Verse four gives us the payoff in the end, in the future. Verse four says this, to, this is where it's going, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's amazing. The inheritance, this is the future outcome of our hope. The future outcome of our hope is this. It is a locked in inheritance. It's a locked in salvation that he holds for you. Notice all the way through this text, this is God's doing that he is keeping us secure. He is keeping our hope secure. It's kept in heaven for us. You know, I grew up on a ranch and uh, I've said that, most of you guys know this, but I grew up on land, about 500 acres. It's been passed down for five generations. My great, my grand, my great grandparents brought wood on ox cart to build a house um, that we have on our land that's now fallen down. But we've used this old pine wood in our house for um, different things that we built, like a pantry or an armoire. And it's great family history. We love the ranch. We want to endear our kids to this ranch. And this is my inheritance. Um, this is the inheritance that we have. My, I have two brothers and um, the, the land is now in our names, but it's not mine yet. It's not mine yet. It's, it's kept for me, but it's not mine yet. It will be in the future. It's interesting though, as I think about that kind of inheritance, it's, it's like this. It's that kind of inheritance. But I want to think a little bit about the future outcome of our hope and, and how that should impact the way that we live now. Like if, if the future hope of resurrection, the future hope that we have, what does that mean for our lives today? Like how should we be living? Should we be living for our plans, for 
the people, for our possessions, for our things. The Bible speaks into the inheritance that we have in the future and the trajectory, excuse me, the trajectory of our life right now with phrases like this or verses like this. Jesus says it this way. He says it this way about the world we live in, um, that we are aliens and strangers in this world, that we are ambassadors of another kingdom. And, And listen to these words from Jesus in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, he says this to the people. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust um, can destroy or thieves break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What a great thought, the eternal perspective, even now as we think about future inheritance, that even now that we chase things that matter, in our lives, that we lay up for treasures now. We think about things that are gonna last forever as opposed to things that, are, that will last temporally. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, verse 33. He said, seek first my kingdom and all these things will be added to you. And maybe again, if you're here this morning and you're checking out the claims of Christ, maybe this verse might hit you as well. It says in Mark 8, chapter 36, Jesus says this. He says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, the whole world, and forfeit his soul. I want you to consider that this morning as you think about Christ and the gospel, the good news that he's died on a cross and he's rose from the dead for you. Those are great verses to consider. What does my life need to look like now, even though my inheritance is future, the already not yet reality that we live in? So questions. Questions would be, where are you laying up for yourselves treasure? Um, what are you chasing? Are you investing in things that will last? And man, maybe you say that, great pastor, you, you've told me about the future outcome, but what about life right now? Life right now is filled with trouble. It's fill, filled with fears and anxieties. When is this COVID-19 gonna be over? I have concerns about my health. I have concerns uh, about my job. I have concerns for my family. I have concerns about the world that we live in. I'm, I'm sick of staying inside. I want to be around people or not, some of us. Listen, the present experience of our hope right now, this text speaks to that as well. The present experience of our hope right now is a living and active hope that you and I can have in the future promise. I want to say this. Uh, I, I just shared with you a little bit about my inheritance and the land that I have. And while that land is not mine yet, I enjoy it. I still enjoy that inheritance right now. It's not mine fully, but I enjoy it right now. I love taking my family out to see their, their grandmother, their nana, who lives at the ranch. And when I pull in, I love rolling down the window and smelling the country air that I can't smell here. I love looking at the mountain that is in the backdrop of the house that my dad built for my mom, the two-story log house that I get to see. I enjoy it. We get to, at night, go out on the deck and look at the stars and you can, it feels like you can almost touch them. I love to take my kids hiking and fishing and hunting on this land. We enjoy that inheritance now. This is, the Bible's interesting when it talks about this, this already but not yet reality of our inheritance. Our future hope, we can actually experience it in the here and now, even living in this world, which there will be trouble. The Bible says, Jesus says that there will be trouble, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And so we have a present experience of living in hope now. If you look just at verse uh, six there, uh, 
it says this, in this you rejoice. There's more worship because of uh, the gospel message. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. I don't know about you, but there, I've been grieved with various trials. And yet I still have a living hope now. This is verse 3. This is the theme of a living hope. You have a living hope now because you have a living Savior and you can tap into that inheritance now. And if I paraphrase the rest of this passage, verse 6 through 9, I would speak about the joy that we can have. I think Peter does this. I think he speaks about the, both the joy and the usefulness now that we can have through deep trials and deep hardships. These people were going through all kinds of trials and hardships. So he's trying to show them the hope of the resurrection, hope of Easter, even where they are at. And we find ourselves there as well. But sometimes it's easier to look at an example. I just want to take old Peter for a minute. I just want to think about his life. I want you to think about Peter when he was young, uh, when he first came and uh, Jesus grabbed him as a disciple. And I want you to think about his life then. I want you to think about all, uh, all the outtakes all the outtakes that we have of Peter where he just doesn't seem to get it. He's got a lot of passion. He's got a lot of zeal, but he keeps fumbling over his misplaced hopes. You see this in his life. You see it with the not wanting Jesus to wash his feet, the cutting off of the soldier's ear. Um, you see him in this with the walking on water. You, you see a guy who, who fails, but you see a guy who gets back up again. And I think there's something interesting in Peter's life. Excuse me. I think there's something interesting, uh, maybe a mark where, where things changed in Peter's life because he misplaced his hopes. He misplaced his hopes even in Jesus. He misplaced his plans that he had for the kingdom come with Jesus. I want you to think about what happened after Jesus rose from the dead. The, the, the women came to the tomb and they came and they saw an empty tomb and they went back and two disciples came back. John and Peter. John beats Peter to uh, the tomb, but guess what? Peter's the one that goes in. He goes into the tomb. That's what scripture says. And I think you see a different Peter from that day forward. Not a perfect man, but I think you see a different man. He now gets it. The resurrection has changed his perspective because in the book of Acts, what you see from Peter is it didn't matter what was going to happen in his life. He was going to preach the gospel. He was going to preach the resurrected Jesus come um, come, come what may, he was going to preach Jesus. And here you see an older Peter writing First and Second Peter. And what he's doing is he's saying, you need to tap into the mercy that God provides. He's experienced the mercy that God's provided. Remember back in the day where he said he would never deny Jesus and he denied him three times. And yet Jesus said what? Jesus said, once you come back, you will strengthen your brother's Guys, this is what he's doing right here. He's strengthening the church. And I think the marked place in his life that changed all that was the resurrection of Jesus. And let me say this, that can change your life as well. When you think about all your failures and all the ways in which you fall short and you come face to face with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus and realize that your hope can be in a resurrected Christ, your hope for new life, your hope for mercy from God can be um, put there in a sure place that gives you a future inheritance and a present reality. Your life can change too. too. You can live out this living hope as Peter did as he strengthened his brothers. You can be a support to your family and your friends 
you can experience the resurrection power um, that Peter did as well. And so this is our hope. This is Peter's story. John Piper says it like this. I love this uh, quote from John Piper. I love the death and resurrection of Jesus, not not because it turns my life into a string of successes, but because it keeps me from collapsing under a string of failures. Can you relate? I can relate. Peter can relate. But the but the resurrection changes all of that. So if you ever feel like your joy and your usefulness is stripped down because of the intermittent or counterfeit hopes that you trust in, trust in Christ. And you think of times where it robs you of your joy and your usefulness. He's still there. The full assurance of hope is still there. Get up. Hope in God. And let me close by saying this. And our, 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 the source of our, our hope is in God himself, in his mercy. Uh, the cause of our hope and new life is God as well. And the way he works in that is the means by which he brings that to us, that sure living hope to us is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel message of his death and his burial and his resurrection. And that has great hope for us in the future and today when we're going through various trials, as scripture would say. And I want to give you an example. I want to tell you about a guy uh, over, just over a year ago, a good man, a good friend. He called me on the phone, grown man, older man, called me on the phone weeping. This is right before Easter last year. And And he said that his son had died. His son has died, had died. And he was weeping on the phone, but he said, you know what, Seth? I still believe in Jesus. I still believe I can't hardly breathe right now. I can't hardly take a next step forward or get up in the morning. But because Jesus has risen, I have a living hope even in the worst week of my life. That is what it looks like to tap into the living hope that God grants through his son Jesus, his death and resurrection, and living out the Christian faith. That's a man who's been changed by the gospel. And I would say this to you this morning. We have a living hope because we have a living, risen Savior. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this living hope that you grant us. It's way better than any hopes and plans and dreams that we have and in the possessions and the people we put our hopes and dreams in, but it is a sure and it is a right hope that we put um, our hope in Jesus. For he has conquered death and risen from the grave and giving us a living and lasting hope. We thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us on a cross. In his name we pray, amen. Well, maybe one of the best ways to to illustrate these truths that we find in God's written word is to show you examples. And so we've got a great testimony uh, coming up that will give you an opportunity to see a changed life. So I hope you're encouraged by it today.